2: Welcome back to another episode of Just a Tip. I'm your host, Megan Batune, and today I'm so excited for this episode. I had such a blast talking to Amy Chan. She's the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, which is a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to heal the heart. She is also the editor-in-chief of Heart Hackers Club, which is an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind lust, love, and desire. She is so chock full of information and experiences and just like a well-rounded person to be able to speak to this we talk about the science of love processing our emotions how the media influences our thoughts on romance it's such a wonderful and insightful episode i hope you enjoy it and without further ado here it is oh my god my pimple um (laughs) i'm just i never get acne and it's just so interesting because like I was mentioning, like, I, I'm basically living two lives right now, one in Los Angeles yeah. and then, like, renovating this home in the desert. And so I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm my body is revolting against <laughs> me because it's it's so difficult. Um, but actually, that's such a, a nice little segue into some of the questions I had. Obviously, I have so many to ask about, you know, the scientific and spiritual approach that you take to breakups and kind of getting back on your feet and self-discovery. But I think before I get into all that, because it's going to be so juicy, me just mentioning like my, my two lives right now, you came from a completely different background before you started the, this like self-love, self-empowerment, um, breakup boot camp type of heart hackers club, all this stuff. You were,
1: what, 15 years you were working in marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did the route my Chinese parents really want me to do, which is like get a respectable job and they wanted me to be a lawyer, but I did it. So I went down the marketing route and yeah, I was, um, the chief marketing officer of the ping pong club spin. Okay. And, um, but I had always written on the side. I was a relationship columnist for about 12 years and it was, you know the area that I loved doing because it was an area I kept failing in. Like I was constantly heartbroken, so I was like, okay, if I could figure out the science of it, then maybe I'll finally get this relationship thing right. Right.
2: Oh wow, I love that. You're like, let's like do the root cause. Let's not treat the symptoms. We are going to the source. Yes. Okay. So, what did that look like? Like when you you were writing on the side for how long within those fifteen years? Yeah. So my
1: first article was. It was another breakup, and I I published a, an article. I think it was on like a MySpace back then, okay. and I had a lot of people reach out and say this really helped me. And I was like, oh, like maybe I'm a writer. So I pitched that article to over a hundred publications. Most ignored me. Some said you don't have any credentials, mm. and one newspaper it was a local Vancouver newspaper said, okay, we'll, we'll do it. A, a guest shot column. I was like, all right, that went well. And then eventually I got a weekly column with them and I wrote for them for seven years, Okay, but I, I just kept doing that. I would, I would get published in one publication that would help me with the next one. And it was this, this, and I created my own blog. So I started to just really create my content and put myself out there and all of my dating woes and vulnerabilities. I was like, no one's talking about this stuff and other people are going through it. So maybe there's a reason for all of this hardship I'm having in love. Right.
2: Wow. Okay. Love that so much. So then you're writing for seven years. When did you take the leap from your, you know, I come from also a Filipino background, so that Asian culture is very much like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a nurse, do anything, you know, that's kind of secure. Um, obviously, I'm an artist. And so I went a different route as well. And so I'm wondering when you felt like you were able to transition fully from, you know, something that was a little bit more stable being like the CMO to uh, writing is a creative job. So it's like, you don't know exactly when the next paycheck is coming.
1: When did you feel like you could make that leap? Yeah. So I took a path of de-risking the path of entrepreneurship until I was ready to take a jump. And it was hard because I was living in New York city and all of my friends were entrepreneurs with five side hustles. And the, the sentiment at that time in my peer group was like, you know, chase your dreams, screw the man. And I was like, uh, but how am I going to pay for my apartment? And like, <laughs> I need the man a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had the idea to create a breakup boot camp camp and I was, you know, preparing for it for like two years and I just wasn't launching. And finally, through the push of a friend of mine, I finally launched my first bootcamp while I was working as CMO. And I told my boss about it. I was like, this is another side project of mine. And they're like, fine, go ahead, do it. And I launched my breakup boot camp, and I got a ton of press from it. So from that press, I had uh, an agent United Talent contact me and I had no idea how this stuff worked when they emailed me. I'm like, do you want my money? They're like, no, you know, we represent Kanye West. Just, just grab him for a meeting. (laughs) And and that's when they're like, look, like, like no one owns a breakup space. You're so good at what you do. Like, let's start with a book. And so with that in my back pocket, I was like, okay, like I'm a little bit more ready now because I am working on a book deal and I basically gave myself six months. I saved up money. I, I called my mom. I'm like, look, I'm going to do this thing. I'll have like three months of living expenses. Okay. And if I absolutely fail, can I, can you help me out? Or worst case, can I come home and move into your basement? And she's like, I support you. So with that, That's awesome, I did it. <laughs> Yeah, wow.
2: Having someone support you is so helpful or just like support you if, if something went, you know, awry. Because anything could happen, like, especially yeah. when you're transitioning careers, it is a huge risk. And you are kind of like, all right, like, am I making the absolute wrong decision from like getting away from something that, you know, I have comfort in? I have a place to sleep and I have everything covered. Now I'm yeah. just kind of going to like throw it up just to see if it's better. And like, most of the time, like, it is better if you're following your dream. And so I love that you had the support of your family through that.
1: Yeah, and the questions I asked myself throughout this process, because I was petrified. I mean, when you've been so trained to work on self, salary and have a paycheck. It's really hard to leave that comfort for the unknown. And I asked myself, if not now, when, like when am I actually going to do this dream of mine that I've had? And number two, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing is I Live in my mom's basement, and she's like cooking me dinners, and she's a perfect right. cook. Okay, that's not that bad, <laughs> right? Um, so that's what really helped me. I'm like, I just got to do it. And at the end of the day, I also had a skill set. So if everything just didn't work out, I could always go back into the job market. Hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: So once you launched your book, was it? tell me about that process. Like I, I have never written a book before. I listen to a ton of podcasts about people that have written books. It seems, I mean, I don't think it would be right for me. It seems so difficult. Like I would rather like, you know, make a house than m- make a book. I mean, they're both two huge endeavors, but like, what was the, the process like of writing this book? You were writing on the column. So you had a l- you had your lane and
1: yeah. How did that go? So Yeah, the very first step was writing a proposal. And this is fascinating because the proposal is written to sell the book. So that's not necessarily what's going to end up being the book. And that was really hard for me. So I had probably eight different drafts. I remember at one point my agents, like, oh, I need to, like, I need a retreat reading this proposal. I'm exhausted. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I'm a bad writer. So I went through this whole thing of like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And uh, eventually I actually hired someone to help me with the proposal process mm. to just keep me on track. Cause my ideas were everywhere. Great. And um, I, I, I finished the proposal and I basically I got really lucky. So my boot camp was featured on the front page of the New York Times. Nice. And, and I was in LA at the time, and my friend Neil Strauss who you might've heard, he wrote mm-hmm. the game and then the truth. He had a dinner and he's like, Hey, you should come to this dinner. So I'm like, all right. I went and it was a publisher of HarperCollins. Collins. Wow. And while we were talking, she's like, wait, were you just in the paper about that? book?" I'm like, yeah, that was me. And without a moment, she's like, I want your book. Give me Amazing. your book. And so that was kind of like the start of it. And we didn't even pitch to other publishers afterwards. My agent just struck a deal with, with Harper's. And then then that process happened. So you get an editor and then your book completely changes.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, completely. I know. I think I one time was like, yeah, I'll write a book, like not knowing anything. And then when it came to the, the literary agent being like, here's, you need a proposal. I'm like, okay, well, I have to work backwards. So let me write the book first and then I can give you the proposal because then I'll know like what it right. is. It's a lot. Um, okay, so one quick question before we keep going there: Do you feel like you, as a, I guess like as a budding writer or someone that's going into a new space, do you think that it's necessary to have people that are already on in the ground floor, like Neil? Like, how did you meet that contact? Like, were you in the right places at the right time, or how did that go?
1: Yeah. Even without my friend, I would have gotten a book deal because what would happen is your agent will then pitch it out and, and the publishers will, will bid on the deal. Uh, it really helps if you have press, it really helps if you have an agent, Uh, there are some people that go the self-publishing route, but I really wanted to be with a traditional publisher. There's also a certain sense of credibility that that comes with that. I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And, um, but at the end of the day, you basically are responsible for selling your book. It's really different now. And so if you have an audience, if you're engaging your community, you need to take time. I I took three months just to market and promote the book and that still wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm constantly still, still doing it. Um, um so it's like a never ending job but yeah really it, there's so many different ways to go about it for anyone listening who's curious about writing books just write write every single day because what that really helped me I took a lot of my blogs and I I used some of that content and I shaped the book but I didn't have to start from complete like zero
2: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And that helps so much with your marketing background. That yeah. and, and that's what I love about kind of, you know, following whatever your creativity and curiosity is leading you to is like one thing is prepping you for the next thing. So yeah. like you already writing all this stuff for your column, like that's helped get you to the next place. Then the marketing brought you to this place. It's just so cool how everything
1: works out if you, you know, look at it that way. Yeah, for sure. It does connect if you, yeah, I think you have to constantly – brush yourself off after every setback. I mean, look how my, I get rejected all the time to this day. Like just, but now I don't just take it as like, oh my gosh, I'm not worth it. I, like I'll have the thought, but I just don't feed that thought. Yes. And I think that's really a big difference is you learn to build a muscle of not taking every rejection personally, as if it's a slight on you as a human being. Right. I think that something that
2: really helped me, my friend came up with this concept that I thought was so genius, but he was saying, um, to think about all the thoughts in your mind, like people of a town hall meeting. And if you're the mayor, like you can listen to all of these naysayers or this guy that wants like the, the road repaved and like doesn't think you're good enough to, for, you know, to have a mailbox or whatever. And so he's like, you can, these, these voices come in, but you don't have to, Do anything about it because you are the one in charge, like you're the chief officer. So it's like, yeah, you can be a naysayer and say like you're not worth it, you're not good enough, no one cares, blah blah blah. And then you're like, I hear you, but we're actually going to write the book anyway. I love that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was it was so illuminating, and I always think about that too because I think that we are so you know if we don't train our mind, like you said, like have a, a set like strength in who we are, then it is so easy to fall into those and, and trust those voices as if they are fact.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Okay. So now that we have the business side out of the way, that was so interesting to me. I always like as a half artist, half entrepreneur, it's kind of muddy here now in, in the modern world because you have to be both. Yeah. It's really hard. You can't, you can't just make art and make money with just making art because there has to be a business side to it. You have to sell yeah. your paintings. You have to do this thing. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's why I also think it's a great idea that you had gotten someone to help with the proposal because, you know, as a highly creative people, it's really hard to, you know, hone in and get exactly what you need, especially to people that could be, you know, suits in the industry of like, I don't care. Just show me the paper and show me what the chapters will be like. And you're like, but what about everything (laughs) in the chapters? But okay. So, so you've been writing about breakups since the column. The relationship column.
1: Yeah. Not specifically breakups, relationships. Um, A lot of the science behind, the science and psychology behind love, lust, and desire. And I've been running my retreats breakup boot camp, for now six years. Mm. So I'm, you know, everything I do now is on breakups.
2: Yeah. So when you were starting to write about relationships and, and looking into the psychology and the science of it, what, where did you turn to, to learn all of this stuff?
1: I mean, everything. Right. So there's like a combination of my own experience. So I use myself as like a test, you know, a tester of all these things. And I, I really, you know, what's even specializing in breakups was my own breakup. Like I had a really traumatic breakup where my entire world fell apart because I put so much of my identity in him and in us. Mm -hmm. And so I had a really hard time bouncing back from that and therapy, Reiki, yoga, riches, you name it, I tried it and I would immerse myself in different types of, um, you know, mythology. So I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. So CBT, DBT, um, I'm always kind of looking at you know, what's the latest in the research? Things are changing. The Gottmans are really good. I really like, you know, scientific based, really mm-hmm. practical tools versus like, just love yourself or happen for a reason. Like, I just, I can't stand those platitudes. Yeah. Like they're so unhelpful. Um, yeah, I want to know like, the the system. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like show me the results and I'll do it. Yeah. I, I completely get that. And I think that that's so important because all those platitudes are out there and they are, you know, at some point it is true, but it's like until you can feel it and understand that it's not going to compute, right? It's like, yeah, love yourself, but how, right. like, I before I like, I now thankfully love myself, but before I did, it was like, what am I supposed to do? You just tell me to do it, okay? <laughs> how. <laughs> Okay. So, um, I, I, love that so much. So you, you basically immerse yourself into all these different modalities to learn and then incorporated that into everything that you are writing about. And then you just found your flock. You found your crew. How did that happen? Was that, you know, instantaneous or was it kind of a picking up steam
1: as you did it? Yeah. I mean, I when I first started my, my breakup boot camps, it was a, a a team of like five. So I knew exactly what type of a program I wanted. And so I worked with an anxiety coach. I worked with a mind hacker, mm-hmm. worked with a psychologist. I worked with a Tantra teacher. And then it, eventually it started, started to grow every single retreat. And now the team's 13 different experts, all the best of the best in their area. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring in um, a psychologist that specializes in uh, helping shifting subconscious beliefs. Then I'll have another psychologist who works on grief and death and love. And then I'll bring in um, a breathwork teacher. Then I'll bring in someone who does somatic healing. And I even wow. bring in a dominatrix who has a PhD from Berkeley who teaches love on power dynamics. Oh my god Wait, I'm in.
2: Like I I was already like so interested when I was like looking up everything about you and your programs. But now hearing that, I'm like, oh, it's like it's 360 empowering, healing, holistic approach to it. And I love that so much.
1: Yeah, and it's super fun. And it's four days. It's like in, you know, it's in nature, it's super luxurious. There's an onsite chef and team, and she's also a nutritionist. So you're eating really well, but mm. you know, you're in programming from nine in the morning until 10 at night. And every session is like, it's hour after hour. And we, we do a combination. So there's going to be, uh, the psychologist will lead a session, but after that, there'll be something that gets you into your body and how mm. you do, how do you move trauma and emotion through the body? So it's, it's really an approach that takes in to account the heart, mind, body, spirit and soul. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, so that's so interesting. It's just a tip. It's just
0: a tip. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I was reading. There's like a FAQ on your website, and it's about a ton of like helpful questions. And now that I hear that, that that makes so much sense because you're going. For, I mean, you are paying attention to every single part of healing. Like it, mind, body, spirit is of course connected, but heart and soul, adding that is so great. So my question is, I, and I know this was one of the questions on the site, but this would be nice for the, the listeners, is do you have to be in a heartbreak situation in order to get something out of this program? It seems like no,
1: but I want you to, to hear from you. No, because it's never just about the X, it's recycled pain. And people will go to a, you know, my breakup camp retreat or read the book because usually they're in pain from a breakup or they're disappointed in love or something like that. The pain is a catalyst, but what they find is throughout the program is a lot of it is about what are these subconscious beliefs that have been kicking around for decades? That's really running the show, right? It's like, it's like the program that's running everything. And there, sometimes we need to kind of debug it a bit because we don't question the beliefs. We don't even know we have them or these certain patterns, or why are we drawn to people who are unhealthy for us? And why do we stay? And it's not because there's something wrong with you or because you're broken, but there's some things going on usually that you're not aware of, and they just need a little bit of tweaking. And when you do that and you have some tools, you shift, you know, you shift just a few degrees and you end up in a completely different destination. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember going to a, a self development seminar one time, maybe like five years ago, and the instructor was talking about one of his friends that was like a, a really high, um, re- highly respected surgeon. And mm. he was saying that a lot of the people that would come into his clinic would be like I want, you know, a completely new nose. And he would he would say like absolutely not. Like I will only work within 2 millimeters of what you already naturally have because when you try to do too much of an extreme shift, it's so unnatural but it will probably just like not even work. And or you won't be recognizable to yourself, like it won't even look good. So he was always like It's usually just a tweak that we need. You don't need to, you know, change everything. It's just a little bit of a rewire and that's it. It's just, okay, you know, fasten a bolt or like a new nut is all you need.
1: Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is it's not an entire overhaul. And yeah.
2: Yeah. Which I I mean, it
1: seems like I remember I
2: had like one breakup that just like absolutely bodied me. I remember that it was so it was unhealthy. I mean, obviously, I'm saying obviously to me, but like (laughs) you don't know this guy, but like it was it was tumultuous in the fact that I was equating chaotic energy with passion. And because that's how I grew up, it was like, oh, if if it's, you know, if it hurts, it's love because love makes you do crazy things. And if you're acting irrationally, you must be in love. And like, that's not true.
1: I mean, it's also what we're indoctrinated from the fairy tales we see to sex in the city, to Bridgerton, to like sex life, right? It's like this, the storyline of love is one of intensity of extreme Mm -hmm. highs and lows of fight. fighting for attention or fighting for time overperforming and earning it being chosen out of a sea of other people. And like, even if you're aware that you're just watching television or reading stories, it's hammered into you like daily. And I mean, it does impact you. And I see the results of this, of these of so many people heartbroken chasing unavailability or feeling comfortable in chaos. And that when something does da- like stable and secure does come along, they're like, oh, I don't feel any chemistry.
2: Totally. Wait, I would love to hear more about that because when I first got into the current relationship that I'm in, like truly my partner had never called a boyfriend a partner before because they had never been a partner. Cause it was always like it, it, the reason why I use the term partner is just because it really just feels so much more like a team, yeah. and we're both there to help each other like become our highest selves, and like we're there to mirror each other and to like usher each other into like the, the lives that we want. Whereas before it was like jealousy and you know keeping things from people or like changing the name of someone in your phone so that when they looked at it they wouldn't be like why are you talking to this person, like cri- oh, just stuff that is just so unhealthy but I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, like healthy relationships, how they feel different than what we are indoctrinated with of, you know, love being painful.
1: Yeah. There's a concept I talk about in my book called the chemistry compass. And this is a our internal GPS that points us into the direction of who we're drawn to and who we're repulsed by, and if we didn't have a healthy model of what love looks like and feels like growing up, what happens is there's some we develop what's called an attraction of deprivation, meaning uh, we are drawn to what's familiar and we try to our psyche tries to subconsciously recreate the scenario of the cr- the scene of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. So, oh. for example, like with me, I had a father who he was a business guy. He, you know, Chinese immigrant building his, his business. He was never around emotionally unavailable. And the only time I got attention was when I got good grades, I would get $40 and I learned (laughs) not 40. I didn't get 40. Wow. (laughs) I got like five, but it was still good. But, but, but like, like, you know, what is that lesson you learn, right? Like, so for me, I learned like, oh, achievement equals mm-hmm. love and yes. I would get attention. And so yes. I became a super little achiever since I was young. and And I was so used to pining over someone's time, hoping that If I just do this well enough, then maybe I'll get that. I'll get that token of love. And I didn't recognize that this was a pattern playing out in my romantic relationships because the people looked very different, but the emotional experience was always the same. Anxiety, uh, always chasing, always wanting to be chosen, waiting to be chosen. And now that I've, you know, done all this work and I've kind of researched all this and I'm also in a very healthy partnership, I've recognized like, oh, healthy love is it's peaceful. You're not constantly obsessively thinking about them all day long and wondering if they are committed to you or, you know, any of that stuff, because you just know in your body and your nervous system doesn't feel like it's on a survival state at all times. Yeah. I just always
2: think about the the brain cells that opened up when I got into a healthy relationship that I was like, oh, I don't have to worry anymore. Like it just, it is so different. And like, obviously it took a lot of therapy and self-work and awareness to get to this point. But I remember when I first got into um, my first healthy relationship, it started to just be like, is is this love because like i'm not on the edge of my seat all the time i'm not you know feeling like the fires of passion being Ugh. like i'm like oh it's just safe yeah oh and then i had heard like like good good love i don't know what they said but like um like healthy love could be like sometimes feel boring when you're used to this roller coaster of emotions Yeah. 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 I mean,
1: there's also different chemicals at play. So something to understand is in the very beginning of new romance, uh, we're flooded with love drugs, right? We're just high on love drugs and mainly dopamine, which is, um, the neurotransmitter of more. So dopamine makes you motivated to get more of whatever it is that you want. Now, what happens is uh, eventually Um, in a relationship, if you continue dating and things are a lot more stable and consistent, the chemicals start to change. So you go in from the passionate stage of love to the companionate stage of love. So mm. the brain transitions from like this future oriented dopamine to uh, present oriented chemicals. They're called the here now chemicals, namely oxytocin and serotonin. Those make you appreciate the present, but it's a lot more peaceful. It's a lot more grounded. Um, the reason why you also feel this kind of crazy angst and this, like, it could be this excitement that could be confused with lust and love is um, when you don't know when you're going to get the reward, you get a bigger hit of dopamine. Ah, so it's mm. the same thing that happens with people playing a slot machine. Unpredictable rewards get you hooked. So you get hooked in this addictive cycle. And then when you do finally get that reward and you don't know when it's coming, it's a huge hit of dopamine. And so that is what keeps you playing the slot machine or staying in these hot, cold relationships with people. And it's very easy to mistake in that for love when it's really just an activated attachment system.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that is one of the most pivotal things that everyone should hear because that's not what we're taught. I mean, like you have to go searching a little bit in order to get that information. You know, it is not spoon fed to us. It's not in Disney movies. Like this is, it, this might be the first time that people are ever hearing about something like that. And so I think it's so vital. And you, you had a, an article on Heart Hackers Club that I thought was really cool. It, I think the title of it was, um, you'll just know when, when you meet the one and, and how that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah, when you know, you know, essentially, which I've been hearing for my entire life. I'm like, when you know, you know, I'm like, but do I know? Like, I think I
1: know. And then I don't like, oh, my God, am I ever in love? Like, I don't know. Known, like 27 times I would be like, oh, my God. I would text my sister. I'm like, no, 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 I, I really, I think I met the one. And she's like, but yeah. you just said that about like that other guy, that DJ, that DJ <laughs> that had like, you know, a cocaine problem. You thought that or were... no, 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 this no, one, no, this is, this one's this is different. One. Like he's an old soul. No! Oh my gosh! CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car.
0: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, I think that we put so much emphasis On finding the one, where it's like, I I don't think at this point in my life, I don't think that that is a very helpful thought process because if you think that you're finding the one, one, you could miss so many other opportunities that you weren't, you know, watering to make that grass greener. But also, if you're in a relationship and and you're like, is this the one? You're always looking for something else. And so you're, yeah. not, physici- you're not physically, emotionally, cerebrally present. You're just kind of like acting and, and seeing like, okay, I'm here for now until something else comes along that's better.
1: Yeah, it's totally not helpful. And the thing is, like you said, a partnership, it is it's not just based on your feelings of the day. There's going to be moments in the partnership relationship where you're not having sex, you know, you're so annoyed with them. But if you have this like, Oh, the one, and I'm supposed to feel like so in love and passion all the time, you're not living in reality. And that is a problem. It's this fantasy based world that, and that's what we're learning a lot about relationships. It's what we're watching and consuming. And um, that's just not reality hmm. Yeah, I think of
2: The Notebook when you talk about that, about just <laughs> she sticks her tongue out. <laughs> it's just like, I, I remember loving that movie. And then like, the more I watch it, and the more I even watch Sex in the City, I'm like, oh, Carrie needs therapy. Like, there's so many, like, every time I watch something that I loved growing up, I'm like, oh, this power dynamic is off. This is not how it is. That's romanticizing. That's gaslighting. It's just like, oh, there's so much going on in the media that we are, are conditioned with from such a young age to make this
1: so much harder to understand, like, what partnership actually is. Yeah. And like what you said about sex in the city, like that was my dream. Like Carrie Bradshaw was like, I'm going to be Carrie. Right. I'm like, that encouraged me to write. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be a really rich business guy and I'm going to write on the side for fun. And like, that was a plan and I I got it. And yeah. <laughs> that was a really brutal breakup of mine. And I just wanted to be someone's plus one. Mm-hmm. And like, I had to really like break down to break free of these ideas that were in my head that were totally unhealthy. And like, you know, now that I'm out of it, it's like, no, like I don't want to be someone's plus one. Like I'm going to, you can be my plus one, but I'm not going to be yours. Like I'm going to build my own life, build my own awesomeness. I'm going to rely on someone else to, you know, give me housing, give me clothes, buy my Friggin' Manolos?
2: God, no. <laughs> yeah, essentially, like, I am the one. Like, I'm not finding the one, I am the one. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. How long did it take you when you were, I know this is different for everyone, but I'm just interested in your process before you were able to, you know, help everybody with the other side of it, like when you were going through your breakup? How long would you say that like that process took of self-discovery and therapy and all the, all the modalities that you used?
1: Yeah, so the intensity of that breakup, um, I would say in around six months is when it started to subside. Like it, the first three months were just brutal. Mm-hmm. But six months I was like, a functioning person again. And although I would have some relapses when I got triggered, but even two years later, I was fine. I was dating. I moved, you know, out of the, to New York from Vancouver. And I still was angry. I had bitterness and resentment. So I don't think that really ended until two and a half years. Um, And I didn't start my business until a couple of years after that. Mm -hmm. So. When
2: you are experiencing anger, I guess now too, but back then as well. Um, That's something that I'm actually working on in therapy right now. And it's a very confusing emotion to me because it was never safe. It was never accessible when I was at, you know, in childhood. Um, It just, you know, grin and bear it, kind of just like always clenching my jaw. And so I'm interested to, how did you, um, what was your outlet like for the anger emotion?
1: Yeah. So I think. Me I mean, what you're saying a lot of women identify with, and it's definitely in the research that yeah. women are at a very young age, and I'm sure it's a little different now, taught to, uh, the anger is not okay, but sadness is. So yeah. you can cry, but you can't get mad because like, that's very, you know, unladylike. Um, and so. I didn't I I still have a hard time accessing anger like mm-hmm. I have to really sit with it and be like what I feel right now where is it okay and yeah. allow myself to feel it because I'll automatically turn it to sadness without even knowing right um, so I, and I think what would happen is it just came out in in res- resentment, which is low-grade aggression, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to this day, I notice when the resentment's coming up and I just stop. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Am I overgiving? Am I acting in a codependent way? Is Where is there a lack of balance? Where am I not communicating something? Mm -hmm. And I just sit with it. And what I've learned about emotions is I used to be very impulsive. So whatever I felt, it was like hot potato, right? I would throw it. I would either blame someone. I would have, try to get someone to fix it with someone's problem. And now, I've learned like, okay, feel the motion don't judge it as good or bad. I like, I allow myself to feel all of it. And I don't, I'm like, oh, I'm just expanding my emotional range mm-hmm. because if you can't feel the dark, you can't feel the light. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's one or the other. And, um, there's other things that I do that really help from flow state journal writing where you set a oh, time for 10 what? minutes yeah, tell me more. and you just put your pen to paper and you just start. I feel that's it. You just keep going and you let whatever come out, come out. It could be like, I feel blah, blah, blah. And then the eggs are green. And I don't know, but you let it all out. And it's actually research-based. It helps you actually minimize the sting of the emotions. And it also helps you debug. So it's also like what's floating around in your subconscious. It allows some of it to come out and it's a form of release.
2: Right. I love that. I know that there is a similar practice in the book, um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, but it's that's called morning pages. For anyone listening, I think I maybe mentioned this in a in a previous episode. But essentially, you set your timer for thirty minutes, or you write three pages um, physically, pen and paper, and exactly the same. Just kind of like put all of your thoughts on paper in the morning, so you can you know just like get it out and focus on. It's like everything that. It's almost like a rollover thoughts from like the night before. (laughs) It's like you roll over thoughts and you just want to get them out so that you can start the day fresh. But I like that your approach because it starts with an I feel. So you've got a prompt instead of with morning pages. It's just kind of like whatever is happening. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I like starting with I feel because I think that just gets directly to what's actually happening. And it kind of cuts out the, the
1: small talk of your brain. Yeah. And the reason why uh, writing I feel or even saying I feel is helpful, it's also research based uh, that it helps people, especially people who have a hard time identifying their emotions. It does take minimize the sting and emotional charge of the emotion. So, um, in the research, it shows that people who do I feel statements um, tend to feel less stress. So there's less of a stress response. Uh, so that's why it's super helpful. Another really great hack is doing the state change. So whether it's anger you're feeling or anxiety, something to understand is your body is being flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. So it's preparing you for a fight, flight, or freeze. And it basically thinks it's being under attack by a tiger, even though it's not. It might have been some crappy email or you didn't hear back on a text message. Whatever it is, so you can't think your way out of it. So what you do is you set your timer for two minutes and you shake your body head to toe. What mm. this will do is it'll help metabolize the stress hormones. Um, so then you can actually have uh, some coherent thought afterwards. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's very
2: similar to something else that, that I was reading um, in an Ayurvedic book was about shaking, um, shaking emotion out, and that's that's so interesting that there. Whether it's Eastern medicine or Western philosophy, there's so many um, modalities that are shared, but just kind yeah. of repackaged in different ways. Which is essentially, you know, my idea of religion. It's all—it's all the same same uh, water, different rivers. However, right? you want to yeah. get there, it's the same exact thing. It's just packaged in a different way. So yeah. I love that. I've, I've never actually tried. I think I tried yesterday shaking some emotion. My therapist was like, okay, just shake. And I was like, okay. We were like just shaking together. It was um, very interesting. But um, I think there is something to that because as we are learning, the body holds so much more than we are ever aware of. And yeah. the body doesn't lie. Like yeah I have um recently i guess this is a little vulnerable, but I think it's worth sharing is like so much stress um, and going through so many changes that I've like stopped getting my period and that yeah. is something that is alarming to me and yeah. so doing a lot of work and trying to like return to my body and give it the rest, give it everything that it needs, you know even something down to the to just like, when I have to go to the bathroom, go, don't hold it for any reason, which I was doing before. Cause I was like, Oh, hold it. You know, I'll finish editing this video. I'll record that podcast or, you know, especially what we were talking about earlier about, um, kind of like our value being equated to our, our achievements, our accomplishments. Our output. <laughs> yes. Right. And no. so, and, and having money attached to that, it's like, whenever I'm in therapy,
0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: It's like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. But if I go to the bathroom, that's like, what, uh, two fifty. That's okay, so it's taking out. And I'm like doing the math of like how much money is this going to cost me to go to the bathroom? <laughs>
1: I'm so the same. It's a lot. I to get that value for that dollar.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's just so much. But yeah, I mean, it's, that's the journey is like understanding that like we have to work with our body and with what was imprinted in our minds, which, you know, that, that mentality of money and equating that to everything. That wasn't my belief. But that's what, you know, that was the gift that I was given. And now I've got to re- repackage that into something that's actually useful and beneficial to me. Mm. <laughs> that's so funny that you have a similar experience. Um, I have another question. It's it Basically, one of your articles, it was like every header was like, yes, that should be like its own saying. But like one of the, the subtitles... In I think the same article that I was talking about the the one you know you know or like when the saying you know is just bullshit, um, you had written um, from fall yeah from falling in love to standing in love, and mm-hmm. I love that so much because I I feel like in my past relationships I always did feel like I was falling but in this one it feels like I am like landing or like not even being caught, like, I'm just, like, I'm landing softly, and I'm not just, like, I'm not, it's not Tower of Terror, it's, like, oh, I'm, like, Alice in Wonderland with, like, her skirt, just, like, you know, gently putting her down onto the ground.
1: I love the visual. Um, Yeah. Right. Like I I think that falling in love narrative is one we've also seen. It's just like, uh, I just can't control it. It's just so amazing. And you're like floating and there's aspects of that. I I totally believe it in, in like the, the romantic, passionate beginning stage and also spurts in the relationship, but like, yeah, standing in love is so much more interesting to me because that actually takes skill, right? Like the other part, falling in love, it takes nothing. You could, you could do that over and over again with different people. It's just emotions. It's just chemicals, but standing in love that is working on your communication skills. It is dealing with the uncomfortable conversation, the boundary you need to set, not taking on someone else's emotions. Even if you have a tendency to feel guilt, right? Like giving them space and trying not to control or turn them into you. Like all of those things, they're skills that you build. And it's this choice of investing in the partnership Mm -hmm. and also investing in your own growth that happens within that partnership. So I think that's the model that we should really be striving for versus just falling in love with someone, which is totally just emotional based of the day.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think once I got into this relationship I understood that you you know, my relationship with myself is equally as important as the one with him. And I and the same for him. Like I I remember in my past relationships I I didn't want to change them, but like I did. Like I wanted them to like I don't want to change you, but if you could just do this instead and do that and touch me there and say that. It's like okay, all these things where where it's like in this partnership it feels like we are both on our individual growth journeys and together we are like challenging each other's past selves to to get better. And I think that is, I wish that was taught a little bit more. And I don't know if that will be taught. I don't know if that will make a good movie. But like, I mean, because that's where we're getting all of our information for the most part is Disney movies and princesses being rescued and all these, uh, you know, Netflix and and. Every single movie that's made that has, I mean, I I do, there's some, I'm not a writer, but like I know that there's some sort of, I don't think it's like a law, but like something where like you can, wow, I like truly don't know what I'm talking about, which is hilarious.
1: (laughs) But like I, (laughs) I don't know if it's a law or if it's a show or it's what I ate in the morning, but yeah. But there is something. So funny. But like I,
2: one of my writer friends was saying that like, there's something in the writing world that if you if you don't have like a male savior counterpart then like you you can like win an award or something i will look it up later but essentially it's like that's where um writing is going is a little bit away from that like heteronormative um old archaic way of thinking of being saved and that like there can be like a female lead that doesn't need a male counterpart and so right. I know that that's, like, in the works because I heard it from her. Obviously, can't retain the information. But, like, I do think that that's really helpful. I, d- I just hope that the media can kind of reflect what we are, I mean, at least, like, the self-healers are learning of, like, oh, that's not helpful anymore. Like, let's stop feeding that yeah. to the masses. But, I mean, I guess there's a reason why it's being made. Like, maybe it sells. I don't know. Maybe people like the thought of being saved by somebody else.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, a, a, there's like this kind of like a thing that works on television, right? Like even like, look, I, currently, uh, I haven't really talked about this, but I'm working on pitching a show and yes. um, the, the feedback has been, well, where's the drama? Right. <laughs> right. And they're like, well, look at what's selling. And I'm right. like, uh, F boy islands doing great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like wh- what, what is out there? And like, it's these, these gamified social experiments where it's like, it's just, there's drama, there's fighting, there's backstabbing, there's choosing. It's, I don't know. I, I really do hope that media does start to shift. And I think we're seeing it. I think we have a long way to go. And yeah. I think that's why having these conversations and people listening to this, this is helpful. All these little bits of information are are helpful in shifting our perspectives.
2: Mhm-hmm. Yeah. I I remember I had done, it's, I remember long ago, like literally last year I was on the show um, where we traveled the world and it was like three of us and this ensemble cast and there was no drama. It was just like the beautiful places you could stay in the world. And we talk about the culture and the food and the design of it all. Like it I was like, there needs to be more wholesome reality shows like wouldn't that be nice like how about our I mean I guess that's why I like the home renovation space because there's never the the biggest drama would be like there's dry rot or like you know like okay we have to redo this entire room okay but like nobody's getting emotionally triggered like nobody's hurting each other maliciously like that's I just want more positivity in the world but even and not toxic positivity but just like being aware of what's happening and not adding drama just to get the views. Like, I just, that's not something that I feel, I don't resonate with that anymore.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess I used, you. I mean,
2: I did watch boy Island and like, I <laughs> like I watched it, but like, I'm not trying to be on it. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, okay. Before we wrap up, I want to know a little bit more about Since you've been researching this for so long. You've been helping so many people. I would love if you could share like a few really helpful tips that you've found in this journey for healthy relationship patterns, whether that's with yourself or with others.
1: Yeah. So I'll start with the one for anyone who still feels, resentment towards your ex you're still trying to get closure and sometimes trying to get closure is like years here's the thing if you're still blaming your ex vilifying your ex psychoanalyzing your ex hoping for your ex to change or to give you closure you're still in a a relationship with your ex you're basically Ah. in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. Oof. And that, that that emotional charge, the energy that's moving towards the ex and trying to figure out your ex is actually detracting from you being able to move forward. So you know when you have those conversations with friends, um, and they want to get together and they want to support you, and then call them a narcissist or whatever it is. Know that it's not helping you. It's like having junk food; it feels good for a moment, and overall, it doesn't help you. The emotional charge keeps you hooked. I would say the second thing is um, this: if you have a history of um, not a lot of success in your relationships, they're unhealthy, they they hurt. Um, then that's a sign that. Your chemistry compass might be a bit off, and so that means when you feel that ten out of ten chemistry with someone, when you lock eyes with someone at a bar, you're like, "Oh my gosh, look, that's the one." That's typically a red flag, not a green light, and it's usually signaling to you that your subconscious is picking up that they can wound you in a very familiar way than as what you're used to. Wow. Um, and so understand that if that's the case, you need to actually expose yourself to healthy and secure people first in your friend group, your immediate peer group, and this is who you're exposed to on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and having more high safety relationships because that will actually wire your neural pathways of trust and healthy connection. Uh, And then giving a chance to people who you would normally find boring because the more you're exposed to people who are healthy and secure, the more you'll be familiar with that. And again, human beings are drawn to what's familiar. the next thing I would say is uh, the I, I think it's really important for you, whether you're in a relationship or you're not, get really clear on what your values are and um, use that as your compass because your emotions are going to change. And if you are dating, whether you're single or you're in a relationship, if you don't know what your values are it's your agenda is going to be determined by someone else's Mm -hmm. and you're just going to go with whoever's going to be more dominant or more persuasive. But if you have values, you'll stick to that. Even if it's uncomfortable, because you know, that's your GPS, you follow that and the right person for you will not require you to abandon your values. Mm -hmm. So, so stop making excuses that cause you to betray yourself. Um, And then my last thing I'd love to say is, Um, For those of you listening who have been hurt, and I'm sure many of you have had your heart broken or bruised, um, know that like there's tools out there where you can you can get back up there. There is a science to it and the pain isn't going to last forever. And the COVID. Coping mechanisms we had to use when we were children to survive, it was because we had to. And a lot of the times those coping mechanisms, those defense mechanisms aren't helping us Mm -hmm. as adults anymore. So really get honest on what's working and what's not. And remember that, you know, the stronger you get, you actually get softer, not harder. And our our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. So if you get rejected, whether it's, you know, you're pitching your book or your show or a relationship or whatever it is, um, and you want to just close up and be like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I hate doing this. Like, just remember, this is your practice. Don't harden. Don't build a wall a fortress around your heart and your hope. You don't need to do that. Just soften and open it back up. I love that so much. Thank you for
2: your time. Thank you for your energy, your wisdom for doing this. I will put all of Amy's links in the show notes. Um, yeah. And so I guess my last question now that, you know, COVID is a thing, um, how does that is affecting your, um, retreats? Are are they happening again or are they on pause or how's that working?
1: Yeah. So I still run retreats. Uh, I just did one in upstate New York last month. So I'm doing less. uh, So I still do a couple a year and I also do online programs now. And I am also doing group mentorship, teaching people how to date. So learning the skills of dating. So a lot of people after the breakup, they're like, now what? And so I really take them (laughs) through a process so you can date a healthy way. Wow, I love that so
2: much. Okay, I'm gonna eat up every single thing on the internet um, that you have put out. Uh, Thank you again so, so much. I think this is gonna be so helpful for so many people.
1: This was so fun. Thanks, Megan. Of course. Yay.
0: That was a headgum podcast.